good evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is Wednesday, September 10th, 2015. We've got a great show for you. My special guest is Brad Zimmerman, actor, comedian, athlete extraordinaire, and a personal friend from Riverdale High School in River uh, Oradell, New Jersey. So we're going to bring him on in a few minutes, but let's talk about what's going on. It's the end of the summer here. New York City, the weather has been uh, off the charts hot until today. Today it rained a bit, but we've, we had 97 degrees two days ago. It's really nuts. We had 60 days in a row of over 80 degrees, so uh, it's been hot, and I think it's the hottest year on record, and the uh, second hottest year on record was last year. So you now for all those doubters of uh, climate change, just think about this. What if you're wrong? There's no going back at that point. So we might as well all collectively, for the good of the planet and the good of everybody, just be aware that maybe there's some things that we, we can do better to protect the environment. Because you only get one environment, we only get one planet, and we only get a certain amount of time on it. So let's let's take care of it. That's my little speech about that. Tomorrow, of course, is the uh, 14th anniversary of uh, September 11th. One of the saddest days in our uh, probably most people who are alive now uh, in our lives. Uh, what a shock it was. I remember coming into the city for work. I was late for work and I took the train in from Scotch Plains from the Westfield train station and I stopped off to switch trains in uh, Newark and switch tracks, which I you have to do as part of the Northeast, Cor- Northeast Corridor line. And I remember it was a weird, eerie feeling. Something just was eating at me inside. And I noticed a woman was crying and I didn't know what the problem was. And I got on the next train, a connecting train, and there was two little old men sitting in front of me. And we were driving, you know, the train was going towards the city and I could see the World Trade Center smoking, both of them. And one little old gentleman said to the other, they're going to crumble. And then we went into the tunnel. And sure enough, when we got out of the tunnel, the World Trade Center was down and there was uh, 33rd Street was all roped off. I was on the last train back into the city. And uh, what an eerie day that was. And uh, for those who've lost loved ones, uh, my heart goes out to you and uh, we'll never forget that day. And uh, what, how wonderful New Yorkers were in getting together and coming together to uh, be responders and just all, the, all of the love that was put out then and how we were in a really great position as a country in terms of having so much love from around the world. And then, of course, there's been so many problems with the Middle East that a lot of that has dissipated. But anyhow, uh, New Yorkers are fantastic at coming together for a crazy, chaotic city. We really do a lot of wonderful things. So um, I'll always remember that day. And I'm so fortunate that myself and some friends. I had a good friend who was in World Trade Center one. He got out alive and uh, he's told me some stories about it, seeing some of the worst behavior uh, and some of the best behavior while on his way down the stairs in the World Trade Center one and being told to go back up the stairs and ignoring that and then continuing down and uh, he got out of there. So uh, fortunate. Uh, Let's see what else is happening. Well, tonight's the first night of the first football game of the NFL season on a lighter note, 2015. I guess uh, lots of us have had our fantasy football drafts. If you don't do it, it's a it's a blast. 
and uh, it's very easy to play. And you just there's one game a week, and I think one out of every four participants in this multi-billion-dollar business uh, is female. So it's really brought uh, people together around the cultural event, and I think football is now our national pastime because it's so easy to watch on TV. Um, I mean, it's it's the, the field is like a TV screen horizontally set up and it's a pretty easy game to follow even though of course there's a lot of complicated intricacies to it people don't understand what cover two is and a lot of that stuff but um it's a great game to watch and it's a lot of fun and fantasy football and wisely the nfl has embraced fantasy football whereas major league baseball it's an older game it's a slower game it's a strategic game but they haven't been as quick to embrace the change in technology and the change in culture and as a result although they still sell a lot of tickets i think football has kind of surpassed them in popularity and i think a lot of that's due to fantasy um a year ago today uh i was in the hospital i had gone in i had got, found out after a run on the fourth of july weekend that i had a kidney stone I had unbearable off the charts pains for two days for about four and five hours. It was, I'm telling you, incredible. And I went to the doctor and said, oh, we found a kidney stone, but also we found a growth on each kidney. We need to take those off. This is called a diagnosis of opportunity. So I was so lucky that I got in there and I had my first robotic procedure on my left kidney September 9th. So I was recuperating on September 10th in the hospital. Now, Although robotic surgery is very effective, you know, when they're getting in there and they're operating on your kidney, that's a very vital organ and uh, it's never a walk in a park. So that was tough. But what was tougher is I had to go back five weeks later for a more complicated procedure, potentially more complicated procedure on my right kidney because of the position and the size of the growth there. Fortunately, everything turned out perfectly. I got a clean bill of health for my uh, MRI I had uh, back in June of this year. I ran 10 miles this past weekend. I'm in better shape now. I have more energy now. I learned a big lesson, which is, uh, you know, when you have, and the doctors will never tell you this, but when you have something like this happen to you and you're lucky enough that you can take care of it ahead of time. And I was fortunate I didn't have to have chemo or anything like that. I got the two growths taken out. It went perfectly. And um, I've been told 98% chance it'll never, not, nothing will never ever come back in that area. That said, when you have growths, that's a symptom. That's a symptom of you have some type of microtoxin or alpha toxin or some type of fungal growth inside. And you have to really look at your internal body chemistry yeah, how alkaline you are, how your system is working, and and focus on that. So for the past year, uh, I've been healing. I've been spending time with my son. I've been writing. I've been building the Guy's Guy platform, and I'm, I'm just involved in another new traditional business that I'll talk about in coming weeks on the show. I had a chance, and I this is my 2.0. This is this is really my time because. Uh, if I didn't have this diagnosis of opportunity, who knows? All bets would have been off in about five years because instead of just taking these things out, it would have been trying to contain things and uh, who knows? So the good news is we, we can participate in our own health and we have to participate in our own health because we have to control as much as we can what's internalized. 
and that's our alkaline, our body chemistry. So I've gone on a variety of different diets. I've done a lot of meditation, a lot of visualization. I've worked with a lot of different holistic healers, and I'm getting fantastic results. And the, and the one thing I can tell you is that certain things in the diet really affect your weight and your energy. And I've blogged about this repeatedly. You can check out my blog at robertmanny.com. Uh, oh, by the way, all of our podcasts on Guys Guys Radio are available on Blog Talk Radio as well as iTunes. The novel that started the whole Guys Guys movement is The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which you can get on Amazon or any of the e-tailers, physical book or the e-book. Um, and also my website, once again, robertmanny.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff. But what I learned was that sugar is bad for you. Gluten is bad for you. Simple carbohydrates turn into sugar. And uh, most people are walking around with candida overgrowth and a yeast infection. And they don't even know it. And doctors don't tell you about this. They don't test for that. But if you cut sugar from your diet, you will, you will, and I'm talking about, I went on a couple of sugarless diets where we cut out fruit. We cut out simple carbohydrates. We cut out even vegetables that have sugar in them, like carrots and beets. And I can tell you, miracles occur. Your energy skyrockets. You lose weight, but you don't lose bad weight. You lose belly fat. And just over time and cutting back on gluten and carbs and bread and pasta and pizza and meat and bacon and all that stuff and ice cream, it really makes a difference. What you eat really makes a difference, particularly in this day and age where we have all the issues with GMOs and how they treat the animals and all the antibiotics and Prozac and steroids that they give them and then we end up eating them. So you really have to manage your own health. And then when you get to the doctors, they're amazing at technology in terms of Western doctors are great at taking things out like they did with me, but I didn't get any advice in terms of what I should do, how I got this, what do, what do I do next? So I've taken that upon myself. And that's what we all have to do. So hopefully through my blog and Guys Guys Radio and just other people, a lot of guests on my show and a lot of other people who are writing about food and diet and energy work and holistic healing, hopefully more and more, you know, the good news will get out there. And doctors are really on our side. And I don't believe these, you know, uh, conspiracy things about, you know, cancer is a business and all of that. I think everything's being done possible to, to come up with ways of uh, avoiding it. But the thing is, we have to take care of ourselves. So anyhow, that's my little riff for this evening. So let's talk about my guest. And Brad Zimmerman is my guest. And he, he has been on the show a couple of times. He's got, I'm proud to say he's got a new show that's going to uh, debut uh, at the end of October at Symphony Space in New York City. And he'll tell us all about it. But He's a very unique and original voice in the world of comedy, and uh, I can attest to that. He does, he's not specifically a joke teller. He doesn't do his 20 minutes, really, though he could if he had to. Uh, but he's worked all over the country, theaters, comedy clubs, casinos, comedy festivals, with Brad Garrett, Dennis Miller, Susie Essman, Julio Iglesias, and also he was Joan Rivers' opening act of choice for the past decade. And he, he's just, he's an amazing guy and he's a good friend from high school. And I'm so glad that he stuck with his craft for 25 years or so. He was waiting tables in the city and just working on his material. And he finally got his break and he's really making it happen. And his first show is um, my son, 
The Waiter, a Jewish tragedy. And it's now first started out in some small theaters in New York, and then it's gone all over the country. Now it's back in New York. And now he's got a second show that's going to launch called um, My Rise to the Middle, which I think is a fantastic name. So I want to talk about some new stuff with Brad, uh, but let's get him on here right now and say hi. Bob, uh, pleasure to be here and really enjoyed your uh... Uh, 20 minute rift. It, you kind of touched on so many different topics that we could, actually could talk about, but uh, you're running the show, so. But it's a pleasure to be here. Oh well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, and I, I want to hype your new show because I know it's going to be fantastic. But I, I was thinking before, when I was jotting down some notes and saying, you know, you know, Brad and I can talk about anything for hours, but I really want to like distance myself from our friendship and really ask you some more poignant questions, like. Sure. You know, I've known you for a long time. Why did you choose comedy as as a platform for getting your message out there? Some say comedy is an attack, and I know you're you're not an attacking type person at at all, but you have a point of view, and there is some poignancy and some sarcasm in your show, and I say that in a good way, and it's very right. funny. But my son, the waiter, Jewish tragedy. Tell us why you you made that a comedy because I've seen. For our audience out there, Brad's a great actor. He was in The Sopranos. He played Johnny Sachs' lawyer, and he did a fantastic job. So he has the talent. But why comedy? Well, first of all, it's a great question. You know, Bob, I, I wasn't, you know, it's called My Son, the Waiter of Jewish Tragedy, in part if when you say waiting tables for 20 years. I remember 25, they're actually 30. You had said to me one point, which was actually very wise, when I said, I'm, I'm not doing anything with my life, and I was kind of paralyzed by this fear and lack of belief. And uh, so I said to you, we were having a meal or whatever, and you said, uh, I said, I, I'm not doing anything. And he said, no, you're doing what you need to do to get to where you, you are now, which is actually exactly. a, a very healthy way to look at that. So what happened was, Four years after I began seeing a really great psychiatrist who was uh, like, you know, they say relationships are about finding the right fit. He was the perfect fit and uh, for 22 years. So I took a comedy class and I didn't take the comedy class because I was interested in comedy because I had been around the comedy scene with friends who were bartending and I'd seen Adam Sandler when he was young. I had no interest. I thought of comics as schleps at the time. I was, you know, like kind of acting was glamorous. De Niro, Pacino, and all of those guys. But when I took the comedy class, and I took it, as I said, while I was still waiting tables, just to take a class, because I was a great taker of classes. I was like, boy, could I take a class. And the reality was, what I found was that slowly, uh, what was a really good fit for me, remember, it's a team sport when you're acting, right? right. Mm -hmm. when, when, when you are doing it by yourself, there's something about it. It's, it's, it's almost like a, sol, a solo sport. And there was something about that, that here I am writing my own material, performing it, okay, and I'm my own boss. And I didn't, have, I didn't need another actor. All I needed was an audience and some material. So I would go out and do these open mics. And slowly, over this lengthy period of time, uh, and I'm not a comedian. I'm an actor who does comedy or a storyteller, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call me. But uh, I just found it to be a great fit for who I am. Um, working alone, you know, at my computer and, you know, the, the joy of putting a finishing touch on a piece is that's, that's sublime. 
and so it's 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 grown on me this thing now i still want to work with other people i think if you just keep working by yourself you're staying in a comfort zone even though you're never in a comfort zone when you're doing comedy but i do want to work with other people and that's on my bucket list no question about it but i would say this has been a great fit for me bob because it's it's not just funny it's poignant somebody said to me after doing the show you know i'm still running my son the waiter they said to me the other night, it was a Saturday night, the show had gone really well, and as I walked by her, she was waiting for the list, she said, boy, you gave us a lot to think about. And I said, wow, what a great comment. You know what I'm saying? So it means that I've, the show has a poignancy about it. And um, it's not just funny. It's, it's, it makes you think. And um, uh, that's what I like about it. I like that it's not just you know, humor where pure entertainment, like just going to hear a Rodney Dangerfield, who was marvelous, but it was, you know, just, I don't get respect joke. I don't get respect joke. I don't get respect. Me, you got to listen. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it, sometimes you have to have a little patience. And a lot of people, obviously, and you know this as well as I do, we're, we're this sort of uh, short attention span world now in every sense of the word. So the people who, who are okay just sitting there and in enjoying an experience where not every every other line is a punchline, those are the people that, you know, those are the people that, you know, are going to get you. There's always going to be people who don't. But I, I found my niche. There's no question about it, Bob. And it took a long time. But I'm, I'm in a very good place in terms of, as you said you were, I feel exactly the same way about myself. Excellent. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. So you developed... When you developed this show, the, which one are we how, talking about now? The first show. Let's talk about. Um, let's focus on my son, the waiter, a Jewish tragedy. Tell us right. what's going on with that show right now. But I also want to know for our listeners, kind of what what drove you when you were developing the material? Because you said something that I was going to get to, which is I was going to ask you, like, what do you want people to get out of the show? And you said that people were coming to you and saying, you know, they gave me something to think about, which I think is the key because you're striking an emotional chord. And Absolutely. The, the, key, the key to any creative project is you have to you have to create some type of emotional connection or evoke emotion from the from the audience. I've been reading a lot of uh, a lot of uh, articles about Keith Richards now, and he says some wild things, off the cuff things. And uh, but, you know, nobody can argue with the fact that he knows how to put those rock and roll riffs down that you you almost physically and emotionally respond to. And he, this guy's an artist because of that. He, he knows how to do that. So backtracking a little bit, when you were developing your material, were you just kind of pouring out your soul to yourself on paper or were you saying, uh, or over time did it happen where you were finding that you were developing a point of view that might engage the audience? Well, uh, again, a great question. And but you know, the interesting thing, Bob, is you know we can look back at our lives and say, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. If you know the big ifs, what if you know those kinds mm-hmm. of things. If I didn't take the stand-up comedy class in, nine, in 1996, I would, I, I w- we wouldn't be talking. There's no question about it. I don't know what would mm-hmm. have happened to me. We just n- wouldn't be talking. So basically, what happened was, you know. Even and this is in the second show. When I did my first one-man show, and 
you did not see this. This was in 86. I had gone to uh, an acting teacher because I was kind of frustrated and said, recommend a play for me to produce, comedic. And she recommended a, a, a play by David Mamet that had, like, you know, all these characters. And mm-hmm. as I'm lying on the drama bookstore floor, and this is in the second piece, I'm thinking, I'm funnier than this guy. And I wasn't thinking I can write funnier for four to six characters. I was thinking I can write funnier for one. So that was the impulse to actually start writing for one person. And I, I was never a huge fan of this one-person show thing. You know, it takes, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's indulgent. What do you have to say? Do you, do you really think you're interesting enough for an hour and 20 minutes and this and that? And that's always been there for me, thinking about that. You know, do I have enough to say to these people? So the reality is what happened was I was done with one-person shows, but this guy who kept coming into the restaurant said, if you ever want to do it, I'll produce it. And so I put together part stand-up, which is what I had and what I was doing, and part theater, which is, you know, my father passing away, you know, prior to him seeing me sort of blossom or, you know, make any money other than waiting tables or, you know, uh, the Jewish mother, um, you know, mm-hmm. interfering and saying, you know, it's time to think realistically. You've been doing this and you have, you know, all these things and other things that, you know, uh, topical things about the world is that I saw them from, you know, a guy who'd been struggling. So, you know, I put it together and it was like a hybrid, as my friend called it. And, you know, I kept at it and I was lucky enough to uh, get it taped and, and it slowly gained some momentum. And then, after eight years, it was it was sold. I sold it to two producers in 2013, and they were. I, I don't I don't want to say they were saviors, but in some ways they were. They gave me a little financial cushion, and you know, we, it was a seven year deal. So you know, I I don't have to do it seven, and I won't. But while I started working on, I was working on that, and the response now with the word of mouth has been wonderful. The reviews have been good. It's been, you know, we talk about the the great thing, Bob, is self-improvement. And that's the one thing that I think the second piece really touches on is how long it can take to, and the price you have to pay to really get great at something. You and I, you talked about athletics. And I was Mm -hmm. a terrific athlete. But my friend once said, and this again is in the second piece, I peaked very young because I never practiced. I just, sports was fun. So I peaked very early. And uh, you see these great athletes, like watching the U.S. Open, Federer, and the, how many times they've hit a backhand, how many times they've hit a forehand, and then made adjustments. So you're watching mastery. And in some ways, that's inspirational for me, to knowing how long. I mean, finally at 61, I really feel like after 35 years of practicing this, uh, I feel I'm kind of... Uh, in a in a kind of a place where I can actually feel that self improvement. So it, it, that journey in itself has been. Uh, somebody once said that self real self improvement is a natural high. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So so um, the second let's, piece. Let's, go, go ahead, buddy. Well, let's, be, be, before we get to the the new show, I want to talk a little bit about the the process and 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 how you kind of grew as an artist because I I, I think. You know, having written a, a novel, and I had a practice novel before that, before I got published, and right. you've honed your show over time before it got put out in front of people, 
a real live paying audience. And then while you've been a paying audience, you've taken it around the country. How, how, and, and what people, some people don't understand is that, you know, somebody asks, asks I, I get asked this all the time, how long did it take you to write your book? And I look at them and I'm like, well, you know, the first draft, uh, I got it down in, uh, my, I, I either say my whole life or I got the first draft down in six months and then it took me 18 months to edit it which is right. three times as long. Now you've been working and editing this thing the whole time. So what's your process been from the time and how different is the piece from when you first launched it uh, before you got the deal to now? And how uh, do you edit it as you've taken the show around the country? You know, I'm sure you're up there and you're delivering it and you're, you're so into it and so um, attuned to it that you can tell, okay, this piece this bit works, and I'm, I'm not saying it in a um, negative way, this bit, like, but this beat, whatever, works with this audience, but not that audience. Maybe this right. works in New York, but it doesn't work in San Diego, whatever. Right. Tell us about that process as an artist, how you've adapted the show, how you've learned about yourself, how you've learned about what works and what doesn't work, and, and even geographically and psychographically with your audience. Well, um, I, I, can't, I feel like a broken record. These are all really poignant questions and very provocative, which, are, which is great. Uh, the first thing I will say is this. What I've, the, the biggest lesson that I've learned, Bob, is that, you know, there's a word that my acting teacher used to use called total commitment. And, like, if you're total as a human being, it means you're so in the moment and present. Now, what I realize, and this is why I said at 61, is that I would go to various audiences. No matter what, there's, one night I can have an audience that's hysterical, where, and then the next night I'm pulling teeth. So how do I deal with that, mm -hmm. the difference between? Exactly. And what I realized, I was focused not on what I was trying to connect, the, uh, tell the audience or what point, but rather with, I hope they laugh at this. So I wasn't totally in the moment. It, that's 20%. I've increased the commitment. And even the waitress said to me, she said, Brad, you've done something different. And it's, it's just, it's whatever it's do, you're doing, it's really working. And that was the most gratifying thing that's ever happened in my life because I realize now it doesn't matter what I do if I'm totally committed they're good. I can't control whether or not they get me or not. There's going to be people who do and don't. But if I'm totally committed, that's all I can do. So, yes, on some audiences across the country, certain bits will work brilliantly. And on some, they'll go over people's heads. But if I worry about that before I do it, then, then it, I'm not in the moment. If I'm really connecting the way I am to you now, totally, not worrying about you laughing, just trying to get you to understand, the, basically to answer the question, I feel mm -hmm. totally with you and I, we're, 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 we're in sync. It's like you're getting me and something's going on with you as I talk, whether it be another question or a point that you want to make, and I'm not worried about what you're thinking. I'm just, I'm just trying to answer the question you ask. And it's the same thing when I perform now, is I'm just going out there to commit totally to what it is that I want to try to get across to these people. And mm -hmm. it's working. It's working in a way that, that has 
it, it's elevated my peace to a point where I really feel more confident. I feel like, like they don't have to laugh to be engrossed. Right. You know, I, 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 Chris Rock said this about, I think I might have said this the last time, and I, I thought he had come up with this, but it wasn't his. Somebody else had said it. He said he saw Eddie Murphy in front of 20,000 people. He said, you could hear a pin drop. He said, that's what comedy is. It's not who can get an audience hysterical, but who can get an audience to be completely still because that's true ownership of the room. So when I'm doing a heavier piece or a mm -hmm. piece that doesn't have, and I Great look point. around and I, I don't see any heads moving. I don't see anybody looking at their watch. I don't see restlessness. I can hear, I can hear a pin drop. I, I have them because what I'm, they know that I'm being authentic. They know I'm being genuine. And as Seth Godin said, we need art that is genuine, that connects, not fake, that entertains. We have so much fake that entertains, and I would argue it doesn't entertain, but I don't know what the synonym would be or whatever the word is. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying, that's what we need. When you talk about what you're trying to do with your product, you know, and you're trying to connect in your way to these men or, you know, even women in your voice that is wants to make them aware of something. I'm mm -hmm. in some ways trying to say that this is, you know, you, it, it's interesting. You are in my second piece. When you said to me, we, you had seen my first show and, and you, had, you weren't even allowed in because you had come later. You were allowed in, but you didn't want mm -hmm. to interrupt. Right. And so somebody asked me, they said, what's the piece about? And you said, the piece is about a guy who walks out on stage, says, this is who I am, this is how I lived my life, no regrets. And, you know, that is in the second piece. That is <laughs> one of the final monologues of the frickin' play. And that's, I mean, look, I can look back and say, I wish I had known more about saving. I wish my father had seen me, you know, make a little spit. But basically, that I say, as I say in the play, you know, and I think... What I'm saying to the audience is, I'm willing to commit my life to my art. Okay, we have one life, and I think that it's it's making people go, wow. You know, if we can, maybe it's it's somebody is going. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. I wasn't born to do what I do. I was born to hit a baseball, but I had enough instinct to where if I really busted my chops, I could come up with something, and and I was willing to do that. And, and a lot of it, Bob, obviously has to do with your inner life. I needed attention. I needed a love and respect and things because I felt insecure and, and my lack of self-worth for, I don't know why that was, but that's the way, that's what sports did. It gave me importance. And I think in the same way, to a certain extent, acting did. But I've, I've really grown to like myself, which is, is, that's maybe why I like the writing more. So I don't need to be in front of an audience as much. But I think ultimately, I think people, the, the point that I'm making to these people is find what you love. I mean, if you, if you can do that and have a little bit of courage to do that, you know, instead of maybe going in the direction that the parents want you to or the institutional route, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying you're going for the security and, or, or the paycheck, as David Mamet says, over the unknown. You know, when you, when you 
when you choose to try to master something in your life, and it, and it might just be yourself, and uh, it's uh, it takes a little bit of courage, and 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 you're living in the unknown, you know, as opposed to punching a, a clock, you know, and working in that factory, and you know, or in the toll booth, or wherever you're working, or and, the office, uh, or the office, exactly. So uh, I'm lucky. Uh, I'm lucky that you know that I that for whatever reason when I was at my lowest point even then I for whatever reason I must have known I had something and and stuck with it and you know we talk about early bloomers and late bloomers of course I wanted to be an early bloomer because you know I I thought oh how glamorous I'll get the girls or this you know we all see these people who make it young and I'm not saying they all fizzle, but, you know, then they end up on Dancing with the Stars or, you know what I mean, Celebrity Rehab, or or, mm-hmm. or they drift off into what is called a comfort zone, and they don't go outside it. They just start, you know, branching out into, you know, oh, I'm, I've made millions as an actor. I think I'll, I'll have my own perfume. I think I'll do this instead of maybe writing a play or doing this or... You know, I don't know. It's 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 it. That's my issue. That's really my own shtick with people who have so much money, and you wonder why do they need five million more to make a commercial when they're already worth four hundred million. But that's my own. You know, that's what I write about because I, you know, respond to that in a kind of. It makes me angry. You know, so blah right. blah blah. So, but I think I've I've addressed your question, right? Or no? You've addressed. Questions I had in my head also at the same time. So great job. Um, let's talk about the, the second play then. Now you've okay. got uh, the My Son, the Waiter is still out there. A Jewish tragedy is still out there. And you've got a seven-year contract. So you're in the, your second or third year of that. And I'm in the second license, year, so, yes. So somebody else could conceivably, somebody else could do that performance. But right now Absolutely. you're doing that. Yeah, that's exactly now, right. Now, now you're doing, you've got a new show that you're going to... Uh, debut on, I believe right. it's October 27th, Seventh, possibly. Yes. That's, uh, it's Symphony Space, and it's called yes. My Rise to the Middle. I love the name. Tell us about Thank that. Thank you. Well, you know, Bob, w- when I was doing, uh, I expressed a resistance to starting a second show to my psychiatrist at one point uh, uh, last year, two years ago, whenever. I said, what's the point? And, you know, there, this is a resistance that shuts down a lot of people. It's not going to be funny or it's not going to be better. And they blah. And he said something very simple to me. He said, it's not about better. It's not about funnier. It's just going to be different. And then I started to think about all of these writers who I admire because I read a lot of fiction and some of their books are great and some of them are decent and some of them are, uh, I don't like it all. So, you know, he made, it's a great point. So I broke through the resistance and I decided this one if it's a sequel, part of it has to be addressing where I am and where what I've learned, where I'm going, what I'd like, where I'd like to go. And uh, but I didn't have. I also felt that it needs to stand on its own so that you don't need to have seen the first one. So what I ended up doing was it's basically a diary from uh, something my mother says to me, which. Which, in other words, basically it's, it's how did this kid, 
you know, who was so shy and so emotionally bottled up and so introverted as a child. You know, my mother would throw these parties and, and I would have to go downstairs and greet people. And I, it, I was terrified. So I would hide in my closet. How did this kid end up becoming a performer who was somewhat comfortable, you know, in front of upwards of 3,000 people? And so I started right at the beginning, go all the way through. So all the way through to the present moment of where I am and, you know, maybe a little future, but it's all written in one style. It's not the hybrid. It's all written theatrically in stories. So it makes it more of an acting piece and easier for me to perform. And in a sense, uh, whether or not it's better or not, it doesn't matter. I, I'm enjoying performing this piece already in a way that maybe I didn't because the first one is a lot of, you know, stand-up mm-hmm. and, then, and then theater. So this one is all written in one style. So it makes it easier to make transitions and it's, it, it's follows like, it's almost like a diary from the day I was born or a, or a you know, a uh, chronology of my life. And um, uh, it, 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 I've had help with some really good editors. One, you know, uh, Bonnie North, who, who we mm-hmm. went to school with. Of course. Uh, yeah. uh, invaluable. And another one was Karen Bergreen, who's a comedian. And yes, has really funny. helped me punch up. Facebook. Yes. And has really punched up some of the jokes, which, I mean, when you get somebody who can help you in that area, it's, wow. I mean, it's, you know. So it's, I'm very proud of it. And it's, you know, it covers my love life. It covers, you know, where I am with my mother now. It covers um, uh, some, some le- a little less with my father because he's been gone for so long. But it covers um, uh, how I got into theater, my first show in New York, um, how I get into comedy, um, all of these things that the first piece doesn't or it does in a different way. You know, what it was like to have somebody, when I first started doing comedy, yell out to me after three minutes, say something funny, and <laughs> how I responded to that. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, 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 the really tough moments of being a comedian and overcoming, you know, this fear of failing or, you know, this perfectionism, so, which really... Right. So Which it's really paralyzed. So it's, it, it's part sequel and it's part uh, uh, something completely different. And yes, um, yes. that's exactly right. It it is okay. a sequel, but it's also, you know, um, I mean, if I was to do a, you know, the true sequel, you know, not enough has happened in terms of, you know, uh, oh, I've met a girl, um, you know, but I did have almost a relationship which is in there with a woman who don't mention any names because I, I don't want to get sued, but there's a monologue about, I almost had a relationship and I haven't had a relationship in a long time that had to be in there because it was very important. Mm -hmm. I came very close and it was a very emotional experience for me. Look, let's talk about that a little bit, not that particular uh, incident per se, but dating you, you, some of your funniest pieces in the, in the, in the first show, Right. about dating that, that are hilarious. And I love the way you kind of wove in dating, some dating uh, experiences. They were hilarious. So uh, now I'm sure that you've gotten some recognition 
there's a more of a comfort level and you get approached by women a little bit more than before. Uh, I've been on. And, um, and so how do you, how did you weave in dating into the new show? Well, first of all, let me just say that um, as a result, you know, letting the audience know that I was, that I am available. It is a line that I say, I say, I want you to know something I'm available. And then I sum up my love life, of course, which is almost non-existent. And, uh, as a result of this, uh, I've been out on a lot of blind dates, and uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, one of the things I learned is that in that brief less than a second, um, you know, you know, I mean, they have to pass that, you know, as you do, as I do, that sort of like, am I attracted? And um, uh, I don't have a good record on that you know, in terms of me at this point, you know, there was one woman on the other hand that wanted, came after me, who I was very attracted to, but after, after on the first date, we didn't connect. So it's worked both ways. And I don't think I was right for her and she wasn't right for me, but I've been on a lot of dates, more than more dates in this, because of this show than in my entire life. So, uh, so you were, Asking, how did I weave the dating into the first or in the second piece? And in, 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 into the second piece, and as kind of part two of that, how has your uh, love life, if you will, without getting too personal, uh, kind of shifted since uh, your rise to the middle? Well, um, I'm not going to say I'm in demand, but uh, I've had experiences where, you know, people have approached and really interested and gotten, you know, um, uh, you know, it's never happened where, you know, a woman would say, you know, uh, I could tell they were like expressing their interest and, um, or I know somebody for you, you know, or there's a part in the show that says, I'm looking for somebody who's attractive, uh, nice figures, uh, uh, successful, kind, generous, cultured, and then whatever, and then some woman would email me. I, I remember that list, and my sister has all those qualities. So I would I went out with the sister, and I'm sure she does to somebody, but to me, she she didn't. So um, you know. Well, let me let me ask you this as part of that, because I'm working on a concept right now for another book, a non, non in nonfiction area, and I think there's a real issue. Uh, there's a real chasm between men and women and uh, not just communication, but dating men and women over 40 in terms of like expectation. Right. Like I know a lot of women in New York who are over 40 and their their best friend, their guy friends are like gay. And there's a real comfort level with them. And that's right. Great. And there's a lot of men who they <clears throat> they just doing their own thing with sports and everything else. And the, the two, they're running on parallel paths. But they're not getting together and they're not giving an inch in terms of what it takes to get the other person attracted to them. And in, in my opinion, well, maybe they're giving an inch, but they need to give two inches, whatever that they're, they're not finding common ground where, like you said, you know, you go out on a date and then you, you had a good time, but then the second date, the chemistry wasn't there or whatever. And, you know, for guys, a lot of it's going to be visual, but there also, there has to be the kindness and something happening underneath. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to look at the, you know, the guy's size of his wallet and all this stuff. And I know I'm using general terms and that it's not fair, but I think guys want 
women want good guys, and I think guys want good women, uh, ultimately. But there seems to Absolutely. be this this huge chasm between the two in terms of getting on the same page. Why why do you think that is, Brad? You know, Bob, I, I, I can only speak for myself, and if this sounds crash, crass, this is the way it is, and it's always been this way, and maybe I'm speaking for men, and I think I am. I, I've always been very into, I, I look at somebody in the first moment, this is before you've met the person, and you see a woman, and I'm not talking about, for me, I'm 61, I'm not looking to meet a third. I'm, my window is much smaller than it used to be. Okay? You happen to, you know, uh, you know hit the jackpot with a, a younger woman. Thank you. I, it's not going to happen to me. I'm going to meet a woman who's late 40s to my age, and I'm, that's fine. But the, first, the thing is, is that first moment is, is a spark of, it's a, an attraction thing, something that happens to me where I just feel like, like it's, 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 uh, it, it's, it's a sexual thing. And if that doesn't happen, it's not going to happen. Now, people will say, no, that's not true. For me, it's true. It's never not been the case. So after that, then everything else, I, then the real important stuff, can we connect intellectually is she going to ask me, is she curious? Am I curious? Are we asking questions beyond just the, you know, what does your father do? Yeah, that's fine. But then ask, how, Brad, how did you, why did you go into comedy? How do you write your bits? If somebody's asking me these questions, I'm going, wow, she, she's scoring. I want to see her again, you know, because I've already established that I'm attracted to her. So then if there's this connection and I, I find she's interested in reading and, and culture and, and, you know, and somewhat staying in shape, and you know, all of these kinds of things. These contribute to me going. This is a turn on. This is this is like I want to kiss her. You know, and it and it's beyond the 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 physical. That's already been. This is I want to kiss her now because she's she's warm, she's kind. You know what I mean? She's she's asking me great questions. She's she's interesting as a human being. She's curious. This is that. Those are all. Now we're into the great territory of, oh boy, do I want to see her again. You know what I mean? The first girl that I told you about was physical. The, the rest of the stuff didn't work for me at all. There was no curiosity. So, 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 so let me ask you, so, the, so you think that the, the gap from, a male from the male perception is, you know, you have to get your check mark for the physical thing. That just has to be there. Uh -huh. there it isn't. But then it has to be the... Um, you 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 kind of referring it to as an interest level, a perceived interest level, and some type of communication there. Is that that's what you're saying? Uh, yes, and yes, and okay. by the way, I've talked with numerous women, you know, because I don't want to come across, and, and they've all agreed with me. Every one of them, to a woman, said, and they 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 have felt the same way. They said, if there's not if they, in that moment that spark, whatever that is physically, that's it. And and I'm sure there are women who don't, who, who see it as, no, with a man, give him a second, give him a third, give him a fourth, give him a fifth, whatever. But the women I've talked to, they, they, I said, listen, I feel guilty. They said, don't. They said, you're not attracted. You're not attracted. And, exactly. uh, and look, you know, I've gone out on six or seven blind dates. 
who knows how many of them were attracted to me. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Well, I really the way don't. I like, the way I see it, and I used uh, my character, Robert Roger Fox, to express this in uh, the Guys, Guys, Guys to Love, is that you know when a woman... A woman agrees to go out with you on a, a date that has a perceived romantic angle to it. She's already basically told you she'd be willing to go to bed with you, but it's up to you now not to screw it up. And 80% of the time, the guy ends up screwing it up by whatever. Wow. How does he end up happen. screwing it up? Well, he says the wrong thing. He doesn't show her respect. He, what, whatever is a, is a slob with her. It, it, it doesn't matter, but... You know, a woman's not going to go out with you, in my opinion, and also my character's opinion. If she's not, if she hasn't perceived the fact that you guys could potentially go to bed, she's not going to, she's not going to date you romantically. She might, you know, want to hang out with you or whatever. But in terms of romance, if she hasn't, because women think ahead, they see the details and they figure it all out before they've even gone on the first date. And guys don't. We see somebody and we're like, I like that. And then we try to figure it out from there. And, and, and for a woman, it's like, all right, I've already determined that you're a possibility and I would sleep with you. But you have to show me you have to kind of earn it, like show me that that that's a real possibility with you. But and don't screw it up. And most of the time, guys screw it up. Well, that's, I think that's, that's, that's are you saying opinion. that when you say screwing it up, are you saying that? that the woman is perceiving that the guy wants to have sex once and then he's going to move on? No, no, just saying that the woman is saying, and please, uh, for the audience, if you want to call up and talk to us about this, 347-945-5834. That includes you, George Samuels, and Bonnie North, if you're listening, or Mickey <laughs> Eisen, 347, or Stanley Kufel, 347, right. or Coach Mulek. No, he can't call up. 347-945-5834. But the point is, in my opinion, that a woman has already determined that she would be willing to bed you, but you've got to kind of like show that you're worthy of that. Uh, and then there's so many pitfalls along the way where the guy might be cheap or he might not be polite or he might be too forward or he not, might not be um, uh, respectful. There's so many ways a guy can screw up. Whereas a man doesn't go into the, re, the, the, the dating uh, equation paradigm with, with the same thing. I mean, guys are they're attracted to you physically. They're attracted to you physically. Then it's like, how do I get her in bed? And then they're kind of figuring things out along the way. Of course, they want the companionship. And the, you, you mentioned, like, she's got to be interested in you and what you're doing. I mean, that's, that's ego driven, but that's fine. But that's how we are. That's how men are. But anyhow, this is like two two guys guys talking about this. So well, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Go ahead. Well, wait a minute, wait. Uh, I, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I, I, it's not necessarily, uh, or maybe I expressed it wrong uh, when you said it's ego driven. No, no, no. What I mean is just people who are curious. In other words, if you're curious, I, I, I so what I mean by curious is, you know, I was I curious was interviewed today by a woman from the Daily News with the mm -hmm. possibility. Okay. So she's asking me questions. Okay. And because, and writing down these things, but in the process of the interview, I said, so do you have a child? What does she do? And I said, where does she go to college? And then we, I said, what does she want to do? And she gave me, so uh, she wants to be an actress. And, and so naturally I'm, going to ask her questions. Is she talented? Is she this? I was interested in, it, in what her husband does. 
you know, all of these things, she was, she had this, uh, so in other words, I was showing a lot of interest, not mm -hmm. because. And it was genuine. It was genuine. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm saying. In other words, I'm not, I don't need the woman to be like, you know, okay. these I see what you mean. deep, deep I questions be... about, but just uh, people who are naturally curious. We live in a right. country where I find there is a tremendous absence of people who are curious. Tremendous. It's just the way the world is. People are, you know, they're not used to to thinking. They're not used to. One guy saw my show years ago. He goes, kind of made you think. And you get the impression that he hadn't done that in ages. And so many people are just on autopilot. If you say to mm -hmm. most people, are you happy? I don't, And they go, yeah, sure. And, and you don't buy it because they don't really understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, it's, it's not coming from in, an internal. It's not yeah, coming I'm from internal sure joy. Look, right. yeah. look what I got. Look at this house. Look at this car. How could I not be happy? You know what I'm right. saying? You mm -hmm. know? I got a mistress at, 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 at the Pierre. Are you kidding me? I'm the happiest guy in the world. And they, 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 they'll never understand what it really, really boils Listen, down to. Guys, like from our, you know, from our generation, we're boomers and stuff. And I know a lot of guys and you know a lot of guys and we're kind of doing the, and I've been on the, you know, corporate side and I'm doing more the quote unquote semi-artistic thing right now. I'm still brand building. I'm still involved in traditional business, but you've gone the artistic route and you're making it and that's, that's a home run. But how many guys do you know who say, and or their perspective is exactly that. Their happiness, if you will, quote unquote, comes from, you know, their job or their salary or their possessions. And it's a, it's a whole money game. I went to my fantasy football draft the other night and it was interesting because the guys were a bit younger than me, about 15 years younger. They're from an ad agency I worked at and we've all stayed uh. in touch for the last 15 years or so. And I could see all these guys who were like 10, 15 years younger than me, good looking, happening guys, all starting to put the weight on, all talking about, you know, who's got how much money, who made this or that. Uh. And it's like they're falling into the same thing. And it's like it's a it's a guy thing. And I, it's not it's no criticism. But I think what happens is we get so busy. And at the end of the day that, you know, people just want to turn on the, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots at nine o'clock and say, I, I don't have time to think I'm too busy, you know, getting it done for my family or making this money or whatever. And then at a certain point, they realize like, shit, is that it? And um, yeah, so yeah, God bless yeah. you for what you're doing, because you're inspiring to me. And uh, I have to keep reminding myself every day, like, just keep at it. Just keep at it. Keep going. Uh, absolutely. Where you find and, your joy. Keep going. Yeah. And um, absolutely. You know, the bottom line is that there, there's no guarantee of anything. I mean, I, to be honest, uh, I'll share something with you as we speak this week. You know, I told you that, you know, I had a deal, this TV deal that was renewed, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's being pitched to one of the major ch channels this week to the head of Good. comedy of one of these channels. Now, because now I'm not desperate, because I have this rich, creative life, um, I'm telling you this because I, I, there's no, I'm not even, you know, going to reach out and say, how did it go? I'm not even thinking, I mean, I'm thinking about it, but it's not in a, any kind of way other than it's a thought. And mm -hmm. then I just let go. There's no, like, attachment, you know, to, oh, this will make me important. This will, whatever, you know, get me on the board. I'm just doing my work, practicing my new show every day. 
going out there. Um, uh, you talked about um, sugar. I have actually not had ice cream, which I've been addicted to uh, <laughs> for f- over four months. But I'm going to disagree Whoa. with you on one thing. Uh, and I have lost uh, – I've never really had a gut, but I have lost weight. I've been, I'm thinner than I've ever been, and I have substituted for me watermelon. And I'm eating watermelon. Watermelon I have seeds, water, those seeds. I have one mm-hmm. in my right ear right now. I've eaten so many watermelons. No, but I haven't had ice cream, Bob. And I go to bed a little hungry, and I, I, can, I can tell you that that is the not eating that big dessert, that pint. But better that, and as you said, waking up with, a, with not that sugar hangover. And mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. The energy is a different energy. So that's that's a huge thing for me at 61 to give up kind of my final vice, which was, I mean, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't know, you know, all of that stuff. So, you know, the, the sugar, which I was addicted to, um, it was all comfort food. That was my whole thing. I'm, I'm really uh, doing really well with that. So it's, and it feels great. You know, well, it really I can't feels tell you how, how happy I am for you that you've, Thank Hit your you. stride. You stuck with it. Unfortunately, your old haunt, I passed Chat and Chew the other day, and it's now like Sal's Italian Restaurant or something I know, like that. I know, I know, I know. Right? I'm like, oh, I got to tell Brad about that. But I'm so- I, I knew that, and the owner, one of the, uh, both owners have seen my show. Uh, one owner I love, the other I don't want to talk about. But um, <laughs> one owner is also my accountant, so uh, he's, the, he's the good guy. And um, uh, I, I certainly hope you show up October 27th. Because Jim Melinda yes. will be there, and uh, a whole bunch of other. Vicky Lorch is coming, the first awesome. girl that I ever had a crush on, um, literally in fourth grade. And uh, so I'm, you know, there'll be people from pool I've hopping. known for. Did you pool hop at Vicky's house? Uh, I, when I go to Oradell, and I've done it twice you to rehearse. You still go pool hopping? <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. Um, she told me one. Uh, well, anyway, here, you know. By the way, you just for the audience, about, like pool hopping is. I don't know if people do it anymore because you might get shot. But what we would do up in the, out in the suburbs, we right. get a bunch of guys together, a group of people together, could be guys and gals, and you go over. You know who has the pool, and you climb right. over the fence and you dive in their pool, and you don't know if they're home or not, and you swim around a little bit, and then you leave and you go to the next place. But it was right. it was fun to do. Nowadays, they who knows? They let the sharks out or something, right. whatever. But anyhow. You uh, know where ahead. I did it, Bob? I did it once no. in my life, or or at El Swim Club with with about six people. That's that's the only time at night we climbed the fence and went into that big pool, and 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 that was it. That was my pool hopping. But you know, um, uh, I I love going back. You know, when you live that solitary life, not lonely. You know, there. You know, go back to Oradell and rehearsing on the Doug Parcells Field and. Awesome. It, or, or you know, sitting in front of Fred Fontaine's house doing my, mm-hmm. it's it's a nice change of pace. It's really uh, brings back a lot of memories and uh, the, of the simplicity and the purity of of what it was like in the '60s and and you know 70s. compared to and the '70s compared to you know the world we live in today where you know uh, you know you read about. I mean, it's just every day it's with the guns or the this or the that or right. the diseases. And it's just, wow. You know what? It's not, it's not that much. And I will, we'll leave it at this. It's not that much different. And if you look at the statistics 
and the right. amount of population. Things haven't really changed very much at all. It's just that the media spews out uh, fear. And uh, the media also, from an advertising standpoint, spews out lack. And uh, those two things have drive this society where everybody's afraid and they think they're missing something. And uh, it's, it's a real problem. What I, and one of the things I love about you, Brad, and I love about your show is that you're like a low-tech guy. Like, right. you, you know, you, you embrace, you do embrace technology, but you took your damn sweet time embracing it. And right. I, I love that fact about you because you you didn't miss it. You made it work, but you did it on your own timetable. So tell us where uh, about the new show. Where can we see the show? Where can we see your current show? Where can we get in touch with you on social media? Where can the audience learn more about Brad Zimmerman and his project? Okay, well, uh, you can just Google bradzcomedy.com, uh, which is my website. Um, uh, my show right now is at uh, My Son, the Waiter, Jewish Tragedy, is at the Triad Theater, 158 West 72nd Street, playing Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 7, uh, Sunday at 2, and Monday at 7, uh, all okay. the way through December. My new show uh, is I'm Just Trying It Out for Producers on October 27th at the Symphony Space Theater and www.symphonyspace.org. Uh, tickets are already on sale. Or if they want to see it in New Jersey, I'm trying it out twice at the Morristown Community Theater uh, um, uh, on September 30th and October 7th. That's the Morristown Community Theater. Just Google Morristown Community Theater and you will see, just go to the calendar and you can buy tickets for my rise to the middle, and then we'll see if there's interest in what happens with it. But um, even if there's not, if there's a lot of work to be done, which I assume there might be, uh, you know, I have plenty of time to do it. <laughs> now, is there was there a Groupon deal for your show? And, and if so, which show was it? Uh, it is. Uh, there's Groupon, and there's, uh, there's all sorts of deals that you can get uh, for My Son, the Waiter, Jewish Tragedy. Okay. There's TDF. Okay. Um, uh, also I am on Facebook, uh, uh, under Brad Zimmerman. Uh, I have not yet started Twittering or tweetering or, or, uh, Tweeting. uh, uh, toitering, but, uh, at some point perhaps, but right now, no, you, you, you take to it like a fish in water. Believe me. You well, right now, right now I'm doing great with the, the Facebook, which is wonderful. And there are people, uh, oh, we're on social media, all sorts of social media. When you turn on the computer, You'll see all sorts of ads, and this Sunday there's a big ad in the New York Times for My Son, the Waiter of Jewish Tragedy. Okay. You know, it, yeah, it's in the arts and leisure section is, you know, coming shows or what's going mm -hmm. on. So my producers are doing a really nice job of keeping it in, in the public, you know, uh, eye of the show, and uh, we'll, we'll see where this takes us, Bob. I'm kind and, of and optimistic. Got, I, heard you bought, I heard you bought a fax machine, too, right? Um. Uh, 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 um, well, in, in terms of, to be honest with you, it was either a fax machine or a uh, chirping chicken pencil dinner. Sharpener. Uh, pencil sharpener. <laughs> anyway, uh, three, no, a loose leaf, a three ring loose leaf binder too. Oh God. You know, the, I, I, I still carry a manual, you know, a, a, an appointment book. I don't, I don't do it on my phone. Oh. I, I love, I, I love it. I love it. It's it's uh, it's good. All right, kid. All right, we'll anything see. else? 
No, it's great to talk to you. I hope everybody goes out. I want to watch the Patriots. The <laughs> All right, go get them. And, uh, Wait a minute, one more thing. We'll the show. Sure. One more thing. Can I just right. say, for Mike, uh, whatever your name is, um, the Mets. <laughs> I was going Bob. to mention that. The Mets, Bob. I, 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 we can watch the Mets I'm, now. I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm sorry. Oh, you I are? I didn't know that. Summer, I reconnected with you about 10 years after college at a Yankees yeah, game. Yeah, you're right. Okay. You. Well, I guess right? that's, I that's, that's Andy Pecon. That's Andy yeah, Pecon. Exactly. Okay. Speak to you soon. All right, everybody. All right. Be good, Brad. Okay. All right, folks. That's our show. Special guest, Brad Zimmerman. Go see him at Symphony Space October 27th or check out his show, my son, The Waiter, A Jewish Tragedy, which is all over New York. And uh, he's a great guy and a great talent. And I'm so pleased for him. So anyhow, uh, good show tonight. So next week, we've got Dr. Amit Gazwami back. We're going to talk about his book, Quantum Medicine, um, which is uh, uh, kind of a holistic perspective on healing from within. So it's something we touched on during the show this evening. But anyhow, uh, I hope you all get off to a great start this fall. The weather's starting to change. It's getting dark a little bit sooner, but that's not a bad thing. You know, there is a season and uh, for every season, it's turn, 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 as they say. So anyhow, hope you all have a great week and I'll see you soon. And remember, guys, guys, finish first.